I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And we have two guests on the phone with us today, VP and Principal Analyst Joanna Quintanilla and Rick Parrish, and they're here to discuss the future of customer experience. Welcome to both of you. Hi, thanks for having me today. Hey, good to be here. We're looking out, let's say, five to seven years. And in, in your mind, is CX more on a linear track, meaning in five years from now, it's going to broadly look like it looks like now from either our customer behavior or what CX practices and tools will be used? Or is it more transformative or a mix of the two? Give me a sense of its trajectory just to sort of set the stage, if you would. So I think that in terms of uh, customer expectations, for instance, um, there are some things that are linear, some expectations that we see that are pretty pretty much evergreen and are not changing, things like convenience, things like wanting um, you know, speed and uh, transparency. But we, see, we also see that there are other expectations where we see a more transformative, more transformative potential. So if I look at things like, for instance, customers expecting their experiences to be orchestrated across devices, across touch points, that is a more transformative, if you like, expectation, which also has transformative implications for organizations and how they uh, plan for that, understand that, and deliver against that expectation. The customer expectations, certainly they tend to creep up over time, and they've been creeping up over, over time as long as we've been, as long as we've been measuring it. Uh, and uh, we've certainly seen some changes over time, such as the rise of values-based consumers uh, and, and things like that. But it's, um, as Joanna says, uh, uh, mostly sort of evergreen and, and linear there. The real transformative angle is the way companies are going to respond to this, because uh, some of these trends, although they've been linear and incremental over time in customer expectations, they're, they're hitting more and more tipping points. <laughs> uh, and, and as they hit these tipping points, these linear processes are, are all of a sudden having big hits on customer loyalty. And that's creating crisis after crisis for company uh, as they need to figure out how to address these you know, using uh, new technologies, new processes, et cetera. Right now, we're early days in what we'd expect to see a fairly meaningful impact from automation, AI, robotics. And to your point, there's some, some meaningful organizational process changes at the enterprise level and ultimately, you know, filtering down to the CX. I mean, the backdrop to CX and the tools in the toolbox, they will markedly change in this time frame. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, all of the... the uh the AI capabilities coming into the market now, right? The augmented reality, the virtual reality. Uh, so many companies are experimenting with these these things. I'm going to take not every experiment goes well, uh, and every company needs to decide for itself whether it wants to be out on the bleeding edge right now or if it wants to learn from some other folks' mistakes. But uh, the time is coming very fast when every company is going to need to deploy these tools one way or another. So I would add to that that it's. Um, uh, the companies also need to change in terms of uh, how adaptive they become. So uh, a piece of research that I've been working on for some time now um, is uh, called the Adaptive Thinker, and it's about how companies use uh, tools and methodologies in order to um, help them do uh, both divergent thinking as well as convergent thinking in order to create great customer experiences. And what we see is that in some cases, some of the tools remain the same. Obviously, there are some new tools, 
but there's a fundamental change in the way that companies need to think about solving customer problems. And they need need to become more sophisticated and much more adaptive in how they blend these tools in order to understand customers at a deeper level, to understand not just the how and the what customers are doing, but really the why behind some of those behaviors, and then be able to really mobilize the organization and mobilize different ways of thinking to solve for those problems uh, in a way that is timely and uh, that, of course, meets those rising expectations, as Rick mentioned before. So, Joanna, just kind of going a little bit deeper on on this concept, can you maybe further define or you know tell the audience the difference between divergent and convergent thinking? Yeah. So the uh, so divergent uh, divergent thinking is uh, is about uh, generating lots of ideas. So really looking at the per, the the a problem, a potential customer problem, in a much more holistic way, a much um, sort of more creative way as well. So thinking, you know, generating lots of ideas, looking at looking at it from lots of potential angles. And convergent thinking is about synthesizing that, uh, synthesizing some of those ideas, uh, starting to converge on uh, the right solution to solve uh, that particular problem. And the way that I think about it is divergent and convergent thinking are like the yin and yang of success. So they blend creative problem solving with rigorous analysis and prioritization and operational efficiency that leads companies, helps companies to really solve the right problems and to solve those problems in the right way. In the work that we did around the future of CX, there were a a number of dynamics that we identified, things like the move to customer ecosystems, personal digital twins, moving from a, a channel structure to more of a customer context. So in your mind, what is the accumulated effect to the CX professional of these dynamics? Yeah, I think that um, there's a clear uh, impact in terms of, uh, for instance, how organizations share information about the customer, right? There's a, there's a need to become uh, much better at stitching together different pieces of information about that customer as they go about trying to uh, find different types of value and, uh, you know, within their ecosystem. So, for instance, stitching together information about the customer, whether they're dealing with customer service or whether they're actually engaging with um, marketing, um, whether it's depending on which stage of the life cycle they're at. So being able to manage that customer information, pull together different pieces of information about the customer in near real time so that at any point in time we know where the customer is at, what kind of business they do with your brand, and, and, and are able to react both adequately as well as proactively. That requires a very different management of information about the customer and the ability to then use that information in near real time to offer the customer the next best experience for them. So that has some pretty um, serious implications in terms of how organizations uh, work but also understanding that customers are making decisions, not just in terms of the brands they want to interact, but they are picking brands in terms of the value that they can deliver for them. So they may want to engage with multiple financial services companies, for instance, depending on the value that different brands may bring to them. So they're creating not just ecosystems of value, but really thinking about brands in a very different way, almost engaging with a wider portfolio of brands depending on the value that they can actually get from uh, from that brand. And again, that has implications for organizations as well 
who have to think much more strategically about the partnerships that they form with other companies, with other brands, in order to be able to really deliver that value across the customer's ecosystem, uh, ecosystem or value ecosystem that they're looking for. And I'd add to that, obviously, the value point that, Joanna, you're you're hitting on, but also maybe, Rick, the values of that brand or that company and how that is already cascading into the world of CX. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. It is certainly starting to cascade, but there's going to be there's going to be a, a, a huge change here that grows out of, of just the trend that Joanna's talking about, which is which is that uh, companies are going to need to to start thinking about their partnerships um, uh, as part of their moral proposition to their potential uh, customers. This is something that uh, uh, we see with values-based consumers who. Uh, have grown over time to be the, the dominant force in the market. Majority of of U.S. consumers do consider uh, companies' moral, social, and political values when they when they decide on who they're going to do business with. And many of these customers are more and more starting to look at uh, these companies' partnerships. Uh, you know, so they're looking deep within these companies' ecosystems, and they're saying, uh, you know, this company talks a good talk. They may, they may even do some some good things that I agree with morally on the front end. Uh, but they're partnered with this company. They're partnered with that company, uh, and so they may they may they may know more about uh, you know your company's deep supply chain and ecosystem than you do at any at any given time. And so uh, they're more and more going to expect that companies remain consistent, which consumers will interpret as authentic uh, in their in their moral commitments throughout that whole that whole ecosystem. You know that they're that they're going to have to be building. So one of the items that you guys are pointing at a little bit is data. And right now we're at a point in time where there's an increasing amount of data being made available to marketers, CX professionals, and others. And the question is, is that data being used appropriately used to forward the relationship and the loyalty that might be created in that relationship? Or is it being used for reasons that actually may over time erode that relationship? And as we move towards the future, this is not strictly sort of behavioral data others. We're going to move into an area where the issue of neuroscience and other things become more of a scientific relationship or data is being made available that enters more into the humanness of that human being. How do you see the CX professionals handling what is a very important privacy question, ethical question, productivity question, financial question? CX professionals are going to have to become ethicists because they are going to be at the nexus of some really powerful tools in their companies. Uh, the the growing, growing uh, not only growing knowledge of neuroscience, behavioral science, but uh, more technologies available to put that neuroscience knowledge to work uh, in the customer experience. Uh, and they're going to have to... You know, they're going to be tempted. There are going to be a lot of temptations. Uh, uh, there, this is, I would say, nascent right now with uh, what we call dark patterns, which our, our colleague Andrew Hogan is doing some 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 great research on. But uh, dark patterns are just the just the very very tip of the iceberg here. And and CX pros are they're going to be they're going to be the ones at the center of this when companies are gaining more and more of this ability to be manipulative. And uh, will they will they use that in a way that pursues the company's short-term interests or the company's and society's longer-term interests. Uh, of course, uh, the traditional way of thinking about this is, let's go for those quarterly numbers, let's think about the short-term, and we'll worry about the, uh, 
longer-term implications later, but, you know, more and more companies, including the Business Roundtable earlier this week, say don't do that anymore. That's not, that's, uh, that's not the way to achieve long-term business success. Think about the future. Think about the good of society as part of the good of your business. That's the way to achieve, achieve long-term growth. That's the first point, and the second point I'll make, I'll make more efficiently, which is that more and more customers are becoming more and more sensitive to feelings of, of being manipulated. And although more and more customers are becoming more and more sensitive, different kinds of customers have different resources to respond in different ways at this point. You know, we're, we're starting to see uh, some customers have the digital tools to start building their own ecosystem, insulates them from, from some of this possible manipulation. Uh, whereas other customers do not, right? And that can create a sort of have and have not in terms of of autonomy, in terms of privacy, uh, in terms of a lot of things that have a lot of really big picture implications for the way business is done. So in the context of the future, time is an important dimension. We have certainly airports, transportation, who are very keenly interested, and you have retail shops, very keenly interested in being much more responsive to the changing business dynamics, customer inputs, what have you. You have, certainly on the logistics and delivery side in retail, a premium on time independent of whether that really makes a difference if it's an hour or two hours intraday. I mean, there's an emphasis of time that you could argue is a point of strategic differentiation, whether or not there's demand sitting right on it. But certainly in five years, time and moving towards real time will be an incredibly important consideration for CX. How should we think of this in the future of CX? We certainly see a movement in uh, within customer experience, and for instance, within um, you know the, uh, the 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 topic of journey orchestration. So understanding customer journeys, being able to deliver on those, um, the need to bring data together in near real time, so that we know. Um, you know what the customer, what the customer's history is with it, with the with the organization, with the brand, but also understand what are they doing at this point in time. Where are they? What is their context? How can we tap into that and offer them the best conversation or the best offer or the best way to solve their problem in a way that is near real time? That does require data to be to be um, stitched together, understood in, uh, in 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 near real time, so that. Both, um, you know, whoever's interacting with a customer, it could be somebody in the, in a store, it could be a customer service agent, has access to that data, knows where the customer is in their context, and they can react to that, uh, whatever, whatever that problem is, uh, in, in near real time. And, Joanna, in your mind, in maybe, you know, five years' time, does that change the role of the CX professional or leader and how they interact with, in your example, like that operations, the retail operations, are those connections already existing today or those connections and working relationships or organizational structures need to be rethought to achieve that near real-time resolution, as an example? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think that some of those relationships and some of those ways of working across the organization and in particular across silos with the customer experience professional in many ways and many situations being the catalyst of that cross-silo collaboration is already happening, right? The seeds for that are already in many organizations. We already see organizations, for instance, organizing themselves around customer journey so that they can create these much more nimble task forces and SWAT teams that can solve customer problems, that can act much more quickly and in a much more timely fashion to customer problems. 
But I think going forward, customer experience professionals are going to have to continue to tap into some of those shifts, uh, be able to bring together the right combination, mix of people, mix of skills, expertise, you know, potentially data tools uh, in a much more agile way to be able to um, not just get the data near real time, but really be able to react uh, to, to that data. So it requires, on the one hand, it requires customer experience professionals to continue to do what they've done so far, which is actually foster some of that cross-silo collaboration, but to start doing it in a way that is more sophisticated, that is more agile, um, whilst at the same time also continuing to, um, you know, not forget to also go deeper on what, um, you know, customers want, right? So we want to be using that information in near real time, but we also sometimes want to step back and really, for instance, conduct more qualitative uh, research with customers, observing them directly, for instance, uh, maybe starting to, you know, bring in skills into their teams like anthropology, for instance, so that we can understand that deeper human behavior as well. So, it's quite a lot of pressure on customer experience professionals, to be honest, to be able to work in that near real-time fashion, agile, across silos, and at the same time still continue to do that deeper work of understanding human behavior better um, to be able to continue to innovate, for instance, within customer experience. I think one of the, the most interesting, really fundamental organizational shift that's going to occur as a result of what Joanna's talking about here, and CX pros are going to be at the center of this change, is that in order for companies to respond in real-time and near-real-time ways, companies are going to have to uh, do what I, what I like to think of as trust but train. Which, and here's, here's what I mean. Companies traditionally, and even today, when they're trying to improve the quality of the experience, they tend to look at their policies and procedures and do two things. They add policies and procedures in an attempt to become more customer-centric. Right? It's the best of intentions, right? You know, add, add policy and procedure that, that is, you think is going to make the organization be more customer-centric. Or change existing policy and procedure. Right? So add or alter. Uh, however, what we're seeing is that those two things are counterproductive because they don't let employees, whether they're customer-facing employees who are actually dealing with customers in the moment or if they're employees who are behind the scenes who, who are working more strategically but nevertheless need to do it fast in near real time, right? uh, either adding policy and procedure or changing policy and procedure, no matter how customer-centric those policies look, slows things down and makes things uh, too, uh, um, uh, too, too rote, right, in order to really provide the flexibility that companies are going to need. So the, the real shift here is going to be companies are going to need to start identifying policy and procedure that might look good, might look customer-centric, but is getting in the way. And they're going to need to start subtracting. They're going to need to start deleting. Right? Companies that are able to really act on this real-time data a few years from now are going to be companies that are slashing policy and procedure. And so that's why I started with this idea of trust but train. They're going to have to hire and train and promote uh, for employee autonomy to use that data and make those fast responses right there in the moment. That's a very different type of recruiting. That's a very different type of training and promoting. It's very different job skills, all of that. And 
And uh, CX pros are going to be the center of that because they're going to be the ones who are going to have to identify the policies and procedures to get rid of first, second, third, right? And they're also going to be the ones who are designing the training programs for those newly autonomous employees to make sure that they use their autonomy and this real-time data wisely. So in both of your answers, you pointed at sort of one of the phenomenons in CX, which is, you know, one could argue maybe that CX teams are comprised of CX people. In the future, these teams are going to be comprised of people that are ethicists, anthropologists, people that have algorithmic skills, people that understand neuroscience. It's a diversity of skill question that is far different. And you're also tapping into skills that arguably are going to be scarce as firms chase them. How do you see the composition and organization of CX happening in that context of diversity? I think that um, for some, uh, you know, some companies are already uh, starting to um, to think about this and to to really sort of, um, you know, try try and solve for the problem that you've just that you've just um, laid out and, um, you know, bringing some of those skills like psychologists, anthropologists, um, data scientists um, into their team um, and um, making sure, you know, in some cases it's also about uh, bringing those people in sort of as and when needed, right? So you have a diverse team uh, with uh, different skills, um, strategy skills, with data skills, um, and then based on the work that you're doing, again, it requires uh, not just a diverse skill set, but also a very different way of thinking about how you work, how you think, what kind of skills you bring in to the organization based on the organization's maturity, based on the problems you're trying to solve for. So the CX team in and of itself also becoming quite sort of nimble and dynamic in terms of the types of skill sets that you bring in, but also knowing when to partner with external parties, whether it's agencies or whether it's, um, you know, other brands, for instance, and borrowing, not just hiring for those skills, but also borrowing those skills uh, when, uh, when needed. So I think it requires, as you said, diversity of skills, but also a very different approach to make sure that you're bringing those skills in at the same time, sometimes temporarily, sometimes, um, you know, to just work on a particular project and, and also borrowing those by associating yourself with, you know, not just other corporations and enterprises, but also charities, for charities, for instance, and governmental uh, organizations where perhaps some of the skill set that you're looking for at that particular time is present. So... We talked a lot about the drivers of change and how we see that unfolding as we get to 2025. And so now we're at 2025. We're all collectively older, wiser. We've had fantastic experiences. Now we're in 2025. What does it look like? And I'm going to ask this question on a hierarchical basis, starting with the boards and CEOs of these firms, how do you see them engaging, taking a leadership position or not taking a leadership position in CX in 2025? One thing that I see uh, for 2025 is that I see uh, boards, CEOs, you know, the, the, the top echelons of, of leadership in, in organizations, uh, taking a more activist stance uh, in relation to uh, corporate ethics. Because uh, by 2025, uh, it, there is going to be no escaping hard moral choices for companies because values-based consumers will be even more dominant in the market. And they're going to demand uh, that they do business with companies that agree with them on social 
uh, and political and ethical issues as part of the customer experience. This is a customer experience question, right? People are people are going to want to have experiences with companies that make them as consumers feel like, as I do business with this company, I am helping to realize my values in the world. I'm helping to make a, a, a difference in a way that I like. And one of the things that these, that these customers want more and more, uh, and we've reached one of those tipping points where a, a slow incremental growth suddenly makes a, a huge qualitative shift, by 2025, we'll be there in terms of ethically activist boards and CEOs. Consumers are already telling us they want this. Uh, and some companies have, have, have tried to waffle on it, and it's, it's come back to bite them. Customers want authenticity. They want, they want corporate leaders who take a stand, a firm stand on what they believe in, and demand that their companies uh, act on that. And that's going to be a huge huge shift. And in that answer, Rick, what you did say was the boards and CEOs will be very active in CX because CX is it is a important expression of those ethics. That's exactly it. That's that's exactly right. You know, it, it's sure, you know, since since forever boards and CEOs have 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 donated money here and there and written checks and such. Uh, fine. You know, uh, but and that's still going to happen. Um, but it's certainly going to be more pointed sorts of, of donations. But that, that's, that's an evolution. The revolution I'm talking about here is, is saying uh, we as a company are going to, as part of our CX transformation from the outside in, not only redesign ourselves from the outside in in terms of using context, in terms of using new technologies, but in terms of presenting ourselves from the customer's experience inward in a moral way in an ethical way that aligns with the ethics of our customers across the entire customer life cycle. That is a demand that virtually no board or CEO currently makes. Some, virtually none. So the, I think that uh, if, we, if we look into the future um, and as customer experience becomes more and more important and, and we see, for instance, that the customer's expectation that companies demonstrate that they are on the customer side, that they are delivering real value to them is rising, that means that uh, CEOs are going to take an, uh, we're going to need to take an even more active role in really orchestrating what it means to be uh, customer obsessed within their organization. So I still see many companies where even when the CEO has taken a really strong stance in terms of being uh, customer obsessed, there's still a lot of varying opinions within the rest of the board. Um, you know, the CFO might have slightly different priorities. The CMO has different priorities. And so um, ha- having a CEO who has a, a strong sense of what that brand stands for, what the customer experience vision is, and then works to create uh, collaboration across the members, uh, all of the members of the board, so that everyone feels responsible for delivering great CX and, of course, delivering on business fundamentals as well, in a way that is very collaborative and very um, unified uh, is going to become more and more important going forward. So those companies that genuinely want to deliver great customer experience. I mean, it's kind of interesting because part of that argument or part of the ramifications, what you just said is the CEOs will start the hard work of tearing down the walls of product silos or functional silos, which 
I think we've all looked at kind of hinder experiences and frustrate customers that the CEOs will begin to create a landscape much more conducive for CX performance. Absolutely, absolutely. Because we still see, or at least I still see a lot of companies where the, that's the intention, but they're, they're, when it comes down to it, there still are those functional silos, those departmental silos are still really strong, um, you know, and they have very different objectives, very different targets. And so when push comes to shove, um, sometimes customer experience ends up being sacrificed because they're just that consensus is, is, you know, they're not nimble enough to build that consensus. It's not strong enough. So I do think that um, there are more and more uh, companies that need to become much more aware of where are we at in terms of customer experience, management, maturity. And the CEO needs to take a really active role in making sure that they can tear down those barriers and make sure that their entire board really, really works towards delivering that great CX and feels equally responsible for delivering it and accountable for delivering it. And part of that could go to investments in CX, right? So the CFO playing a role um, and being part of that evolution or revolution. Absolutely. In fact, one of the fastest CX transformations that I've ever uh, witnessed was led by the CFO of that organization uh, with, of course, the collaboration, everyone else in the board and uh, the, the customer experience team, of course. But it was really led by the CFO um, and it was a very rapid transformation as a result. So let's turn our attention to the CX leader who using an analogy, has a fairly big plate of food in front of them. They have a diversity of talent teams. They have an expectation and a responsibility to carry the ethics of the firm forward to engage a very different customer. Give me a sense of their priorities, how you see that role unfolding in 2025. I, I think it's hard to, to sort of answer that, like there is one type of, of CX leader um, that, you know, that can drive that because, of course, it depends on the culture of the organization. It depends on where the organization is at. But I think that there's a couple of things that I think are really important. I think that, um, you know, a great CX leader needs to be, um, you know, pretty good at setting, helping the organization to set the right priorities based on business fundamentals and what's most important for the customer. Um, they need to be incredibly um, sort of committed to continuously understanding how customers, what customers expect, how customers are changing, and then being able to brilliantly communicate that to the organization so that, pe- so that the organization as a whole can really deliver on that. I'd like to second one thing in, in particular uh, that, that Joanna mentioned, which is that, uh, that prioritization aspect of this. Um, you know, boy, these CX leaders are going to have are going to have so much going on faster than ever, and in the in in the most customer centric organizations, they're going to have people for, coming at them from all sides with really cool ideas for CX, right? Um, and uh, there, many of them, many of them might not only be cool but also useful. But these companies aren't going to be able to do everything, uh, nor nor should they. Right? And so uh, I think that, that the CX leaders at the most customer-centric organizations are going to have the hardest time with prioritization, cutting through all that noise. And so they're going to they're gonna need to, as John was saying, having a handle on that data and an ability to communicate and creativity are all going to really come together around figuring out uh, how to, how to uh, separate the, the wheat from the chaff and all these CX improvement ideas, uh, 
zooming in on a few that are the most useful uh, and being able to go back to people, including people, you know, on uh, CEOs and boards of directors and say, uh, we're not doing your idea. <laughs> Here's why. Right. Managing up, down and sideways uh, to to be able to say no uh, in a, a in a, a rigorous uh, and empathetic way, just in the same way that say they say yes in a rigorous and empathetic way, and keep the organization on track to manage CX transformation reliably and efficiently. So I'm a CX leader today. I'm the backdrop is results broadly have been plateauing. There's some improvement, but probably not enough. So I have the job of handling that, while the job of planning for a very different future. What's my thought process? How am I thinking of placing my feet in two different places, both equally important? I think that uh, for for customer experience professionals to um, you know continue to do the hard work uh, now of improving customer experience, they need to um, make sure that they are working with whatever whatever part of the organization needs uh, the most change or the most improvement. So, you know, where are custom, where are we, where are, are, are we as an organization? We need to ask themselves, where are we as an organization not delivering on customer expectations? What are the things that we absolutely need to improve now? Because if we don't do that, if we don't find and fix those, those worst problems, uh, we are going to be out of business. So they need to have a sense of that and they need to work with whichever part of the organization is required. So whether that is customer service or whether that is um, you know, a, a specific journey, for instance, that's very important and that is not performing very well. They need to focus on that and make sure that they that they start to deliver an experience that is um, that is that is at least adequate for customers. But I think that um, they need to do more than that, obviously, as we've just been discussing today. And they need to also find ways to leapfrog ahead and really be able to deliver excellent customer experience. And for that, I would say that um, investment in uh, both uh, a better balance between quantitative and qualitative data and understanding of customers, a deeper understanding of customer expectations and how they're shifting, and starting to really reframe, uh, you know, products and services and what what the company does in terms of uh, in terms of solving customer problems is incredibly uh, incredibly important. So, you know, investing in customer understanding to be able to leapfrog ahead in the future and really deliver outstanding customer experience will start to pave the way for uh, uh, hopefully a rosier future. From my perspective, in in, a, in addition to that, in order to start preparing for that for that future. Uh, CX pros should should also start really laying the groundwork for some of those big picture organizational transformations now, because while they continue to react in real time or start to react in real time, and also pick more of that that low hanging fruit to keep incrementally improving the quality of the experience, uh, that happens relatively quickly. But some of the bigger things we've talked about, making a more uh, um, uh, agile organizations, removing uh, complexity in the ecosystem. Uh, building ethics throughout the entire customer lifecycle, all those sorts of things, uh, those take years to do. Right? And uh, it's easy to put off, to keep, to keep putting out the fires in front of you. But CX pros need to, need to, to step away from some of, the, uh, some of that tactical day-to-day. Push that, push that down uh, within the organization to lower levels as possible so they can spend more time working on these big picture transformations. They're gonna take a few years. If otherwise, if they keep putting them off, 
uh, they're, they're going to find that they're overcome in just a few years down the road because they haven't dedicated the time to it. It is certainly going to be an exciting and consequential future. Thank you to both of you for joining us today. Great to be here. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks both. To learn more about the future of CX, download our guide at for.com slash future of CX. That's F-O-R-R dot com slash future of CX. Thanks for listening.